0: welcome to life on earth welcome to life on earth welcome to life on earth well hello hello welcome to the news this is the news here is the news all the news that fits what you need to know and you don't even know it and we start with the news from far overseas in the uk the uk that sounds familiar that rings true where the bbc is reporting that the Aberdeen Royal Infirmary is exploring whether artificial intelligence, AI, can assist radiologists in reviewing thousands of mammograms a year. We're keeping abreast of that story. According to the BBC, quote, the pilot program helped spot early stage breast cancer for June. A healthcare assistant and participant in the trial is now set to undergo surgery as a result, AI is already saving lives. Of course, we know objectivists like Paul Shea, the great radiologists in the States, in the colonies across the pond, he is already seeing AI used to assist in reading. Artificial intelligence is being used in similar ways in many disciplines, not to replace, or at least not yet to replace, eyes and judgment to pro- provide powerful triage assistance and second opinions we are living in the future. Now, speaking of AI in the UK, at the University of Edinburgh, researchers have used machine learning algorithms to identify three, not one, but three chemicals with promising anti-aging characteristics. You're never going to die. Meanwhile, well, it's dinner time in the States, in the Eastern time zone, where we are broadcasting all of the news that fits at least and. In a headline in The Economist, it states, speaking of dinner, the future of fish farming is on land. Oh, yeah, yeah. Croucher says, I see smoke. Yeah, that's uh, that's this smoke here, but you're right. I should have a cigarette for this. That would be appropriate. Quote from The Economist, the rugged, chilly coast of northern Norway beyond the arctic circle is not usually thought of as prime agricultural land but far down a dead-end road on the shores of skierjad fjord sits salt schmolt one of the most advanced farms in the world but rather than crops or cows the firm produces fish Inside its 7,000 square meter main building are tanks capable of producing 8 million schmolt, juvenile Atlantic salmon, every year. Now, of course, fish farming is not new, but affordable tank based farming at scale is, as it's been limited to expensive species like salmon due to the costs. Salmon's expensive. While most fish are still Farmed in river or lake based net farms or caught at open sea. Those costs are coming down. Land based fish, land shark, are becoming affordable at scale. And while we're focused, and rightly so, on artificial intelligence and robotics, even basic technologies like farming and fishing are expanding and converging. Now, of the 27 news stories considered for this evening's broadcast. Some of them I only have time to mention briefly. So a quick, few quick headlines, but links are available in the show notes. They are already posted at robertnaser.com/shownotes show notes and on my Facebook wall. Scientists have developed a super repellent that can stop 99% of mosquitoes from biting your skin. I'm a big fan of DEET, but that's only so effective. I want better, and it is coming. Estonia is set to become the first ex-Soviet state to back gay marriage. Well, appropriate for Pride Month, and it is about freaking time. Virgin Galactic to send Italian researchers to space, then regular commercial flights. You know, sadly, we seem to have lost a sub and, and four tourist explorers this week. But, you know, tall mountains and deep water and, and outer space remain compelling destinations for travelers with curious minds and brave hearts. And yes, there will be losses as there are in mountain climbing every year. But those with extreme risk tolerance and extreme interests, well, extreme adventures await You know, if William Shatner can go to space, and not just as Captain Kirk, why not you? Okay, back to the headlines. New drugs, new vaccines, and my favorite happiest story, India's population has now surpassed 1.4 billion people. Yes, overpopulation is a risk in a country like India, but the solution is more freedom. More options, more production. And finally, news from Columbia University, New York City, and researcher Adam Mastriohani. I wonder if I'm saying Mastriohani right. I swear that's how it's spelled. You look at the link in the show notes and tell me what you think. Headline, morality is declining, right? Scientists say no, that is an illusion. Reported at Nature, but it's interesting since I first put this story in my notes in your headlines. I've seen it all over the place. This one's getting around. This one's got legs. Quoting the story at Nature, quote, Adam Mastriani was always bothered by anecdotal claims that people are becoming less kind, respectful, and trustworthy over time. So He took a deep dive into such claims. He wrote a PhD dissertation. Now, Mastery and a collaborator have drawn on decades worth of study results and other data to find that people around the world have perceived a general moral decline for at least 70 years. But the data also show that individuals' evaluation of their contemporaries' morality has remained largely unchanged during that time. Mastroianni, a psychologist at Columbia University in New York City, and his co-author Daniel Gilbert, a psychologist at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, conclude that the perception of moral decline is an illusion. The findings were published in Nature on June 7th to examine the common idea that morality is waning. Mastroianni and Gilbert analyzed U.S. surveys about moral values conducted between 1949 and 2019. In response to around 84% of the survey questions, most participants reported that morality had declined. Similar results were seen in surveys done in 59 other countries. The authors also conducted their own series of surveys in 2020 and found that U.S. participants said that people were less, quote, kind, honest, nice, and good, unquote, than they had been in times past, such as the year in which the participant was born. The perception of moral decline was shared by people of various political ideologies, races, genders, ages, and educational levels. The researchers also examined the surveys that asked people to report on the current state of their own morality and that of their contemporaries. And the authors chose surveys that had been administered at least twice with a minimum interval of at least 10 years, so that answers could be compared across time. These included questions such as, well, how would you rate the overall state of moral values in the country today? Now, again, I'm quoting the story here. If morality had actually declined over time, people would be expected to rate their peers more negatively than those who took the same survey earlier. But the data revealed that participants' assessments of their contemporaries' morality have not changed over time. For Mastroianni, this means that the perception of moral decline is erroneous or that, quoting him, it's at least very difficult to find any evidence that this moral decline has happened. So why do people think there is this decay? The authors speculate that it has to do with factors such as biased memory and negative memories tend to fade faster than positive ones. Unquote the story. See my previous comments on negativity bias. We are biased toward weighing the negative because the negative is something we have to do something about. Positive, we enjoy it. We love it. We even remember it, but we don't give it as much credence. So going on with the story from uh, Nature here, the challenge, Melissa Wheeler, an ethics researcher at Swinburne University, points out, quote, will be in getting people to accept that they hold this illusion, which is so prominent and widely held, unquote. A few days after the Nature story, the New York Times carried a guest editorial by Dr. Mastroianni, which is hardening as it means the story is getting even wider coverage than the wide coverage, of course, that it's receiving right now on the Ayn Rand Center UK's program, Live on Earth. Dr. Mastriani lays out his research and then offers this, quote, two well-established psychological phenomena could produce this illusion of moral decline. First, there's biased exposure. People predominantly encounter and pay attention to negative information about others mischief and misdeeds make the news and dominate our conversations and second and this is interesting from dr mastroianni because this is the part that i haven't talked as much about in the past there's biased memory the negativity of negative information fades faster than the positivity of positive information getting dumped for instance hurts in the moment but As you rationalize and reframe and distance yourself from the memory, the sting fades. The memory of meeting your current spouse, on the other hand, probably still makes you smile. When you put these two cognitive mechanisms together, you create an illusion of decline. Thanks to biased exposure, things look bad every day. But thanks to biased memory, when you think back to yesterday, You don't remember things being so bad. When you're standing in a wasteland, but you remember a wonderland, the only reasonable conclusion is things have gotten worse. So, unquote, the doctor, negativity bias and survivor bias. This makes sense. If you're not already familiar with these cognitive biases, see my episode of Five Minutes with Robert Nacer, with Amy Nacer on biases and fallacies link robertnaser.com slash show notes. Going back to the quote, that explanation, or the stories quote, that explanation fits well with two more of the surprising findings. First, people exempt their own social circles from decline. Oh my God, who does that sound like, objectivists? People exempt their own social circles from decline. In fact, they think the people they know are nicer than ever. Second, people believe that the moral decline began only after they arrived on Earth. I'm quoting the story. I did not choose that wording. (laughs) People believe that moral decline began only after they arrived on Earth. They see humanity as stably virtuous in the decades before their birth. On the social networks, on on the socials, the podcaster, objectivist podcaster Michael Leibowitz, posted about his experiences in the Connecticut penal system. If you don't know Mr. Leibowitz, you need to find him and follow him. He has a podcast of his own. And he asked this question I wonder are these experiences, his experiences in the system, indicative of the state of the world? Or is it just the filters with which I often experience the world? I'm inclined to think it's the latter, unquote, which I thought was an optimistic way of looking at it. My answer, it's both. But you're right. You're regularly engaging with some of the most contentious issues. And so you're going to find yourself regularly facing some of the most contentious people for good and for ill. It's 2023. I have more to say about that. But first, I want to shout out to the people in the chat. Thank you for joining me. Yes, the smoke really is just coffee. Next time, I'll bring a cigarette on board. I was never a regular smoker. Only when we went gambling. It just seemed to be the right environment for a cigarette in your hand. Maybe this show would be too. We'll make that happen. What I'd love to see in the chat, we've got some good comments in there, but I want to see a super chat. I want to see at least one of you put where your money, where your mouth is, pay for this fine newscast, which is going to wrap up with something really, really important. You want to make that happen. And I want to see your comments stand out. Although folks are talking about dinner and lunch, as I mentioned, as well as mosquitoes. If you miss that part, you just gonna have to rewind and go back to the beginning. This is news you don't want to miss. But in answering that question, From the esteemed podcaster, Mr. Leibowitz, I said, it's 2023, and the world, you know, he's asking, "Are, are things as bad out there as they seem? The world is magnificent, and in countless ways, statistically and otherwise, things have never been better. Now, there's plenty that's bad, irrational, even evil. But it is vastly outweighed by the good, the reasonable, the productive. We are surrounded by beauty and inspiration and opportunity unless unless you spend a lot of your time focused on the news of the day as reported by the mainstream news. And when I say the mainstream news, I don't mean that way it is used as the biased news. I'm not talking about bias at all other than negativity bias. No, Uh, the problem is that good news isn't news. Even though 97, maybe 99.7% of what happens all day, every day is good. Ordinary life, general decency does not make the news. And on social media, if most of your friends, most of your feeds are focused on the news of the day, all you see is train wrecks or subs that didn't make it back to the surface, but literal and metaphorical train wrecks in politics, in culture. If that's your focus, to steal a line from ELO, all the worst of the world convention. You know, My friends lists and my news feeds are pretty tightly curated to give me as much of that other 97% as possible because life's too short. It was fun because a commenter retorted, how do you measure something like that? (laughs) Don't ask a question if you already know the answer. I don't measure it. My perspective is informed by the news By writers on the subject, like Matt Ridley and Marion Tupi and Steven Pinker, and by my personal experience, I am making no claim to expertise on those percentages. I'm just sharing all of the evidence that I've got, including the stuff everybody takes for granted. All the more reason to be heartened by the ongoing declines of poverty and violence in the world. Purely subjectively, I remain enormously grateful, grateful for the wealth of opportunities we have in this modern world, and I encourage everyone, this is how I answered Michael, and it's how I'm addressing y'all, I would encourage everyone to avail themselves of the endless, powerful, useful technology, and the countless channels of communication, and the dazzling arts, and music, and sports, and the many fine businesses and restaurants, and the parks, and the stadiums, and the other venues for play, and inspiration, and the parties, and the concerts, and the social gatherings, and the roads, and the bridges, and the hiking trails, and the bike paths, and the historical homes, and monuments, and galleries, and exhibitions, gardens, and fields, and I could go on, and none of it is news, and all of it is out there. It's all too much. And nearly all of it, I know, I know, if you're still with me, you're wondering, where's the take-home point? Nearly all of it is people created, people managed, people curated. And yes, there's a lot of bad in the world. And sometimes we've got to do something about it. At a bare minimum, when confronted, we must condemn it. But at the deepest level, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, to borrow a phrase from Atlas Shrugged, we never had to take any of it seriously, did we? For every bad news story reported by the mainstream news, and again, I'm saying mainstream descriptively. I don't mean that as a slight. It's not an accusation of bias every bad news story there is endless good news but most good news isn't news good things happen every day all day now this is not pollyannaism this is the news this is rational optimism this is realism Now, yes, the recession that everybody is expecting still may come. You know, they always do eventually. You know, as folks have joked, gold bugs like Peter Schiff have predicted the last 11 out of two recessions. I'll take a sip so the slow ones out there can get that joke. And yet we're surrounded by the success stories. And this time, for once, I mean in objectivism. You know, th- Think of the artists in objectivism. Think of artists like Brian Larson and John Wass and Sandra Shaw and Quentin Cordaire And I could go on. And think of the thousands and thousands of other rational, even though not objectivist, artists out there producing great work. If you don't see it in the museums, you're not going often enough. But look at it in film. Look at musicians in objectivism. You know, we have rockers like Alex Prisk, but we also have classical musicians and conductors like Thomas Shoebottom and classical singers like Allegra Durante. But then consider there's a million excellent, though not objectivist musicians out there. Athletes, fitness experts, like one of our sponsors, Thomas Bisson, in the objectivist community and countless others who are not objectivists, but are outstanding and inspirational athletes. Thought leaders across many domains from Alex Epstein in energy policy to Harry Binswanger and Lee Pearson right here on the ARC UK in philosophy. And here's where it may seem the hardest to find the not objectivist, but reasonable thought leaders. But read the reporting on human progress, humanprogress.com. Listen to the podcasts of, of Barry Weiss. Read the works of Steven Pinker and Marion Tupi and Matt Ridley and many others. Yes, I would like to make, and it's a plan, but it's, it's in the early stages. I would like to make a list of all of the successful objectivists. If I do, I'll post it on my Substack, robertnaser.substack.com. And the point wouldn't be to assert that, you know, since there's hundreds or thousands or maybe tens of thousands of very successful and out-of-the-closet objectivists. There's still a few who are keeping that under wraps. And the point would not be to say, well, you know, if there's thousands of objectivist influencers out there, you know, maybe everything's going to be all right. Uh, that's not the point. The point is, everything is all right. Or rather, things are on balance. And by the numbers, by the evidence, getting better, despite the well-reported bad news. And while there's a lot, of, a lot of that owes to Ayn Rand and to objectivism and the many objectivists since Ayn Rand, it's also owing the good news, the stats, the constant improvements that you don't always hear about on the mainstream news, the constant improvements are owing to much more than just the objectivists. It is owing to the rational, the reasonable scientists and innovators and entrepreneurs and investors and athletes and artists, everybody else out there who is producing, anybody out there who is producing more than they consume. That's what's keeping the world going around. Now, the origin of this newscast and of the program Life on Earth was Ayn Rand's statement in her 1974 West Point speech, Philosophy Who Needs It. You know, regarding her philosophy, she said, quote, formally I call it objectivism, but informally I call it a philosophy for living on Earth. Unquote. Now, for that reason, in my original show open. I have asserted that if that is true, if objectivism is a philosophy for living on earth, if this really is the missing owner's manual for life that we all should have been given when we were sent home from the hospital, then it stands to reason that if anybody in this world is happy, if anybody out there, anybody out there is successful, if anybody out there is benevolent, if anybody out there is experiencing joy, is glad to be alive, it should be us. We've got, the, we've got the manual. We've got the secret. We've got the inside information. We have got the tools for living on Earth. If anybody should be a success, it should be us. Now, I'm not going to be a, uh, um, someone who uses toxic positivity and says, well, if you're not happy, you must be doing something wrong. No, I'm the last person to say that. It is a crazy mixed up world. And those of us focused on ideas can see what's crazy and mixed up about it. And yes, that can make it be harder to see the good news and make it harder to stretch and take advantage of the opportunities out there. I totally get that. As a cloistered, shy, uh, risk-intolerant introvert despite appearances, I absolutely get it, totally. I don't mean to put the blame on anybody. But objectivism can save and arguably has saved the world. This philosophy has saved the world, but that's only a secondary end. That's wholly secondary, the primary end. The reason for philosophy in general, and this philosophy in particular, isn't to fight. It is to live. It isn't to argue. It's to create and produce and engage rationally and act productively and live passionately. So, my point today as we wrap this up, is to those who focus on the fight. And this is the Ayn Rand Center UK channel. I don't mean to minimize the value of the fight. It's what I do here. It's what we all do here. But that's only part of it. And in the bigger picture, it's the smaller part of it. In Ayn Rand's words, the fight matters. She says we never had to take it seriously, did we? But she also says those who fight for the future live in it today. I don't mean to say that the fight isn't important. But I'm going to make a point. And this might sound provocative. This might be be the thing Robert says that finally gets him thrown out of this philosophy. But the victim is the sanction. The victim is the sanction to the extent that there is evil in the world. And there is. To the extent there is evil in the world, giving it more credit than it deserves. Giving up on your own happiness and letting evil knock you off course toward living a great life. That is a form of sanction. It's one of the greatest victories that evil could ever ask for. I'm going to say that again. The victim is the sanction. To the extent that there is evil in the world, giving it more credit than it deserves, giving up on your own happiness, And letting evil knock you off course toward living a great life is a form of sanction. Refuse. Refuse to lose. Refuse to be a victim. Refuse to let them into your world. Refuse to let them live within your context, within your psychology, your spirit refuse to let the daily news matter more than it should more than is just more than is rational be part of the good news it's easy all you need to do is have a magnificent life on earth